Hello and welcome to Celestial Podcast, the Doctor Who podcast that still doesn't watch the Faceless Ones animation. I'm your host, Joey Morgan. Today I'm here. I, I haven't seen it personally. I mean, I started, I started it, but I haven't finished it yet. Um, I saw it two weeks before um, release. In case you couldn't tell, I'm here with uh, Dylan, aka Lord Slar. Hello, uh, fellow Super Hulockians. I fucking hate you so much. I'm <laughs> uh, also here with uh, Marcus, aka the Sentinel. Hey, how's it going? And uh, uh, Jacob Licklider, that's the other one. <laughs> I am here and not dead. <laughs> uh, and today we are discussing Early Adventures from Big Finish, Series 1 and 2. Um, uh, spoilers as always, I guess we're just going to jump right into it. I don't think there's anything to cover. Um, yeah, alright, let's get right into this. Here we go, Domain of the Vord by Andrew Smith. Uh, who would like to begin? I can begin. I was going to say, Dylan should begin. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, come on. Like, Dylan. I did, I did once have a weird... I did once used to have a weird obsession with this story for some reason. I don't know why. But I mean, it yeah. is good. It's, it's really good. I mean, it's kind of like William Hartnell does a... Uh, the William Hartnell era does an action blockbuster. And it's, it's really... For what it is, it's really, really bloody fun. Like, it's proper watertight writing and pacing, which... Often I find some big finish uh, struggles a little bit with, you know, kind of pacing more action-oriented stories, uh, where it, that, that isn't the case here. And it's got, you know, some pretty good characters, like nothing outstanding, but it's all it's all very, very well done. It's like, it, it, it's, it's just overall a very strong package. And I think what really makes it so exciting is the verbs. They go from just being kind of these weird leather gimps, spandex gimps from the Keys of Mariners <laughs> to being... An actually really cool villain. Like it really develops uh, who they are and their backstory a lot more, and it's really nasty. <laughs> uh, you know what they are, and what they do, and I think most good big finish kind of has some really nasty twist in because a, a, a lot of the best big finishes have that, and this one has that in abundance. And I especially like um, Susan's relationship with one of the words in this story because it kind of works to kind of humanize and to kind of see the word from their perspective a little bit. Obviously, you know, he's still a bit of a prick, but you, you, it's nice to see a big finish story that kind of, you know, it comes, it's like a cool action story, but it's also, you know, still willing to be quite nuanced and look at it from a different, even if, you know, a perspective that ultimately is wrong. Uh, and yeah, I, I just love it. I just, there's so much about the story I really enjoy. Uh, it's, it's quality. Uh, you hit the nail on the head there talking about how it expands upon the Vord. I, I, that's my favorite aspect about the story because it takes this very little niche aspect about Doctor Who, and, and that is the Vord, who appeared in only one story before and I guess a few comics where they're apparently Cybermen. Uh, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and they're not like a fondly remembered villain. They're... Yeah, ex exactly. So like Andrew Smith just men... takes this idea. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We're not even an idea. They're, they're just men in wetsuits. We don't... They look quite cool. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> Especially um, for this 1960s design, but like, yeah. and it's like it's it's not even like an idea that he's expanding upon. It's just that the designs are cool. Um, we know that they wear these protective suits to protect them from the acid water on on, on Marinus, and that's about it. And then he then he uh, creates this whole backstory for them that makes them utterly fascinating. I love I love the the story of like how the board are created. Um, it's, it's such a such a cool idea. Um, I also love the narration in this story. I think uh, I think Ford and Russell are wonderful narrators. Um, and also, I think where it really shines, for me at least, is the absence of the Doctor. Um, it it kind of does the Keys of Marinus thing, where it like, uh, tosses them out of the story for the most part about, what is it, at the end of part one, I think? Or beginning two. of part two? Yeah. At the end um, of part two. 
Oh, end of part two, yeah. It tosses them out of the story there, and it just allows the story to really become Susan's in particular. Uh, but it, be- it becomes the companion's story, and uh, and, it, and it lets Russell and Ford shine as, as the amazing performers that they are. Oh, yeah, they're brilliant in this. Absolutely. And Carolyn Ford does actually a pretty decent impression of Barbara. Like, it's... Oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. I was going to wait to say something about that, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> what were you going like, to say, Marcus? What... Oh, nothing. Like I said, I'll wait. I'll Because trust me, we will come back to that point in a, in a moment. But one of the things I really enjoy about this story is just the scope of it. You know, like this is something that happened a lot in the Hartnell era. Stories like The Chase or Marco Polo or The Daleks Master Plan, you know, and sure you know, just how open the, the stories are, how open world they are, how much ground they cover. And re- sure, later on, you get stories like The War Games or Resurrection of the Daleks or Survival. But really, that type of grandiose storytelling really died with the Hartnell era. That's a very good oh, no. point, actually. Uh, yeah, and I, I think what is really good about um, the early adventures is how authentic they try to be. Like you can imagine a lot of these stories as being like from the era they're supposed to be from. They did not in all cases because there are definitely some exceptions, like the Yes Men, which we'll get onto. Yeah. But, um, there's I, I there's that... at least like one story from each series of, of early adventures, at least. I, I think in series two's case, there are two of them that you could like see like just directly being a part of the eras that they're set in. Um, and really, like Domain of the Vord, I don't think it's, I don't think it steps too much outside of. Uh, yeah, it's just like if they had more budget, they probably yeah, would yeah. It's it's it. literally just Hartnell with a budget, and, it, and it, maybe it was the a doctor, bit... the Doctor's Tale and Family of Series, which that just they could be in the Hartnell era. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, I mean, I mean, they're 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 both. I will say, um, Domain of the Lord maybe goes a little. It goes a, maybe a little dark for television, like, mm-hmm. but that also could just be. That. I don't, I, mean, th- I don't think I don't think it's any more dark than like presenting the Daleks' backstory. Or what I mean, about uh, the tenth planet, where like you know it's literally about you know basically botched remains walking around in kind of with like boilers on them, you know? And they, and, and, and they don't really shy away from. It. I mean, again, that's true. Yeah. It could just be it could just be like the, your the listener's imagination makes it darker than it actually is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, see, like, see, would go, see, would go, see would go if. Same would apply if you were to like take any Hartnell era story and apply it to the early adventures format, give it that narration, allow the mind to run. If you like hadn't experienced any of the TV stories before, you know, I, I think you would imagine it the same way that you would imagine Domain of the Vord. I yeah. mean, imagine as if you had never heard the Cybermen before, like they weren't a thing, and there was an early adventures that introduced them for the first time. And what would your image of like those kind of Hartnell era tenth planet Cybermen be if it was just described to you? It, they would be pretty bloody terrifying. Yeah, it would, it would be dark. Uh, it would, there would definitely be dark, just just set, just idea. Um, I'd also say it's it's interesting to see that to just to listen to this one, um, mainly because you have uh, that entire uh, you know that you you do have that really really good plot, and it's 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 it, it, the narration doesn't actually take away from the story, like. I think it adds no, to it. Oh, I feel definitely. that it allows it allows big finish stories to kind of have more of like that kind of grand scope, but allows allows it to be much much better visualized. Like I feel sometimes main ranges when they become a bit too ambitious, you can kind of lose what's going on. But that's never the case with the adventures because they allow narration. 
So they can kind of go on this kind of big... Act. Like, the, the reason why this kind of sticks out from a lot of Big Finish is because it is just an action story, which wouldn't really be possible without the animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just an action story, but it, like, it has a lot going for it. For it like, not, I wouldn't quite call it... I mean, it's got character drama, but I mean, like, you know, you're not really... I don't think yeah. I'm particularly sold by the stakes of, you know, like the Doctor going missing or anything. Um, but no, I am it, sold... It, it, I'm, I'm sold by how the characters react to it. Yeah, what, what makes it unique is, is how it works as an action story, which is rare for a big finish. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, obviously. Especially, especially like for a big finish story, like with narration, where it is all just described to you. Like, it's. You wouldn't expect it to be as riveting as it is. Can we just talk about how great the soundtrack for it is as well? Yes, I, rem- I remember when I started listening to this, and, and like the first Vorn attack comes, and I was like, this, yeah. this is some, it, it's some of the best Big Finish music I've ever heard. It's, it's yeah, so great. A lot of Big Finish kind of falls into the trap of just having very samey music, but this one, it's very distinctive and suits it perfectly, like kind of the, the, the kind of very tense, you know, like with the oh, horns. This is, this is really actually um, building up. This is actually the guy that did a uh, Daughter of the Gods later on. I don't know how to pronounce his name, otherwise I would try. Uh, it's, well, um, it's Toby. It's Toby Robinson, isn't it? It's, it's uh, yeah, Toby. Whatever his middle name is, Robbins. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the he's the guy. He's the guy in charge of the big finish lunches. Like that's 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 who. He is. <laughs> Everything he touches turns to gold. <laughs> well, he's done. I yeah, think he's done a lot of sound design for Big Finish because he's been that he's like been there as long as they've been recording at like the Moat Studios. Yeah, yeah. Like he's been involved in some capacity. Um, I, also, the music just really works in terms of that it's it's like a first Doctor story. Like, like it, it you could imagine the score being written by a composer of the first Doctor's era. I'd kind yeah, of disagree. Like that. the emphasis on like on the whole. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a bit too kind of you know pump like you know pump action. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it's, it's a little more punchy than one would imagine. The, but, uh, like, the, the instruments used are believable, though, of the horns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marcus, you haven't spoken much. Anything else to add? <laughs> um, no, just like I said, I really like the scope of this story. Um, you know, like how they start on a ship and then they travel across the sea, apparently for weeks, and then they're on an island. I just like how grand this story feels. Like I said, that's really one of the things i enjoy about the hartnell era and that's one thing i think this story captures perfectly mm. yeah that's yeah. one thing that more doctor who should do i absolutely hate how confined doctor who gets especially you know it's just you you need more of these kind of grand scale adventures in doctor who because it's a show where you can go anywhere and do anything at its core it's about adventure and we barely get any doctor who that does proper adventure anymore it's just Actually, like okay I, here we are in this few rooms. you know and, you know, that grand scope and scale, just since we're on this tangent, is actually one of the things I've been enjoying about the Whitaker era, because so many of those stories do feel big But like it's that. not believable, though, because it, it's condensed into so little time that you can't do any build-up for it whatsoever, or any world-building, or any character-building. It just feels sloppy, rushed, and I, I don't buy it. So, before that, this devolves into something I don't want it to devolve into, let's give ratings out of 10 for Domain of the War. Dylan, would you like to go first? Uh... Eight or nine. You can choose whichever one you prefer. Eight or nine. I'm going to give it a nine, personally. Jacob? I also give it a nine, because it's and... not perfect, but it's great. Awesome. Marcus? Yeah, I'm giving it a nine as well. Excellent. Excellent. Right, I'll nine. say a nine. I'll conform. <laughs> should conform. One of us. Join, join, join the sheep, Dylan. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, all right, let's, let's move on to The Doctor's Tale by Mark Platt. Who would like to begin? This, I will. This one's, this one's weird, isn't it? Like, is it's it? Not, at least it's not what you expect from Mark Platt. Like, it's a, it's a pure historical kind see, of. In the... See, I'd expect it just for Mark Platt's pure love of the heart, Alara. <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't. I mean, it's not. It's not. I'm not saying like it's bad. I think it's it's great. It's nice doing this, um, this whole the whole Canterbury Tales sort of thing. Like, like, and it, and you know, it's nice having one pure historical this for this Hartnell season because that's that is something. Let's let's be honest. It's 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 a heart. That's a Hartnell staple. Like, you've got to have at least one. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just nice. It's, it it really is. It, it there's a lot of there's just a lot of fun. Like, let's let's just do see the writing of the Canterbury Tales, and like everyone gets it does the whole everyone gets split up, and it kind of it never completely devolves into a farce, but it, it gets more comical, and you you know you have you know those really nice '60s episode titles, and it's it's almost like one story, one like self-contained story for like each episode. Like this is kind of an episodic story. Really? Oh, I, never noticed, I never I noticed that. I never noticed that. I I always just followed it along as one story. I never noticed that it was. It is, yeah, but he, but each one does kind of like hone in on one character and uh, and like focus on what they're doing there. That's good. Yeah. I, I never noticed that. Am I just dumb? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. It, it's like and actually now that you bring that up, Jacob, it's 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 an interesting way to like take the pure historical Hartnell format and do something different while still making it feel so utterly a part of the era. I love that. It's also one I don't think people talk about enough. Like, oh, I, I agree. It's a brilliant, uh, you know, story. And I think that this this has to be the most authentic one from this season. Like, you can really envision this being a Hartnell historical. Oh yeah, and, 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 the and of, like the crusade. Even like how it like directly relates to the stories around it, like Ian using the fact that uh, that he that he's been knighted from the Crusade, or or them bringing up the time space visualizer uh, from the space museum. Like, it, it fits right in there. Like. I'm not just saying, like, because it references other stories around it, I'm saying, like, you can imagine them bringing up those elements of the stories in the era. Like, uh, if, if it the, wasn't yeah. for the fact that, like, yeah. the chase was was aired right after the Crusade. Yeah. I mean, after the Space Museum, not the Crusade. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But there's, there's no, like, there's no direct link in Cliffhanger from the Space Museum at the chase, so anything can happen in between those two episodes. Oh yeah, so, I mean, other, should... other other than the Daleks appearing uh, appearing at the end of the Space Museum. Like, oh yeah, yeah, but yeah, but they, they might just yeah, but they might have just you know been seeing them a long time because like you don't know how long the Tiles have been traveling until the Daleks. Even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's not even like the that the TARDIS team sees them at the end of the Space Museum. It's just the Daleks are following them. It's yeah. just a cutaway, like. Yeah, uh, yeah. no, I, I'll say. It's also kind of nice and in parallel, like to Gareth the Roberts's The Plotters, just a little bit, at least for kind of for the Doctor and Vicky. That's true. That's true. So what? So what would what would you say like takes place first? Uh, probably the Plotters, but that's. Oh yeah, with that with that nice ending, well, with the Doctor leaving them in the TARDIS, there, going directly into the... yeah, I like that. That works. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I, I, sorry, I, I, sorry, I like sorry because of... read the Plotters out there. Uh... <laughs> I haven't fully read it. Uh, I quite liked um, some of the side characters in this, specifically. Um, I mean, I haven't heard this audio in a few years, so do excuse me. I can't, I can't remember their names, but the, um, the queen, like the kind of the person who was supposed to be the queen, 
Is it uh, Isabella? Like Strand or Vicky? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, she was a really good character. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a Mark Platt script, so you're gonna nine times out of ten, unless you're Skull of Sobek, you get really good characters. <laughs> well, see, actually, like all the best Mark Platt big finish audios have narration in it because Mark Platt is just a master of, of, of prose and and describing things, which is a weird thing to say, but uh, but he's brilliant at it. That's what he's best suited to, and and it works here brilliantly. the The setting is so visceral because of, of Platt's writing, and uh, yeah, I, I I believe it every second. Also, the, I will say it's something that happens in in all of this first season of early adventures. The the small the double casting of like the small cast really works. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, that's because because like the idea there is that um, the idea with the early adventures at first is that it's the main range for the first and second doctors you, you still got a full cast you still got uh but but you know obviously you haven't recast the first and second doctors yet except in this case at least early on um you still make use of that of that small cat of that small cast format while still having it be feel like there are other characters there because there are other actors playing the characters rather than it all being narrated it, it makes it feel like a full world while still having that personal feeling if that makes sense it's 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 almost a contradiction but it works yeah yeah definitely um anything else to add on the doctor's tale i don't think marcus has said much yeah no just just a couple of things like that thing i said i was going to circle back to um between this and domain of the board i prefer carol ann ford's reading of barbara to maureen o'brien's but i think this is a better story for barbara Yes, definitely. I mean, Barbara's always always been brilliant in historicals here. Uh, it's, I think historical. Barbara just has more to do in this because she didn't have as much to do in Domain of the Void, did she? Yeah, yeah. Well, because do, because Domain of the, the Void, doctor, she was written out in the middle. Yeah, because for some for some reason with Domain of the Void, like they take uh, they take like Caroline Ford and and William Russell being the only two original actors there as well. We have to take the Doctor and Barbara out of it. Not that I'm complaining about that, but like. They just kind of naturally write them out of the plot because it's more interesting to have Russell and Ford play their original characters than to have them be narrators the entire time. So, um, but here it makes full use of all the characters, and I, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, and mostly I think this story suffers from just pacing problems. Like episode one and episode four are great, but I just remember listening to it. Episode two and three just really dragged. Really, I had, I had a really fun time listening to this. I mean, I guess that's probably just my preference in general to pure historicals. Um, yeah, no, I, and I still liked it in that regard. I'm just... Interesting. All right, well, uh, I guess if that's about it, uh, let's move on to our uh, our ratings out of 10 for The Doctor's Tale. Marcus? Seven. Seven. Uh, I'd agree with that. I'd give it a seven. Jacob? Yeah, I'd probably give it an eight. Eight. And Dylan? Eight. What? Eight. Is that an eight? Uh, no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess he gave it an eight. Uh, right. Say, what? Say, say that. So, say that. What the fuck are you saying? Dylan? What are you doing, Dylan? <laughs> say that. I fucking hate you. <laughs> We're moving on to the Bounty of Series by Ian Potter now. Who would like to begin? Actually, you know, I'll start. Who's starting? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Marcus. So after a really good track record, just with my personal big finish list and listening and stuff, I finally found one. A First Doctor audio I do not like. 
<laughs> oh, really? Shit. You know, I don't yeah. like this one either. That's I yeah, to get on the Bow Street like... Jodie Whittaker review. <laughs> you know, the first problem I had with this story is if a story has a weak hook, weak hook, a weak opening, I can usually soldier past it and to go on through the rest of this story, but I couldn't do it with the Bounty of series. Like, I had to restart it two or three times just because I was not engaged. And that was pretty much me throughout this entire story. It just didn't hook me. I wasn't engaged until, like, the last third when we got that twist reveal with the villain. And But by then, it, you know, it was already too late. I was just so done with this story. You know, like, I'll, agree, I'll agree with most of that. But for some reason, I can't pinpoint why I don't like this story. I mean, I guess it's that. It does kind of drag a bit. Um, but I don't like, think, yeah, for I, me, I guess there isn't a strong hook to it. Like, for me, the most interesting thing about this is the premise. You know, it's kind of got that same premise as Primeval. You know, to the audience, this is a sci-fi story. But from the point of view of the companions, this is a pure historical. That's true. That's true. I remember when I was first listening to this series, um, Jacob had told me that this was the best uh, story of this series. Uh, so I think I went into this, one, into this one with high hopes, and I was completely let down. Jacob, is this still your favorite of the series? Uh, no. No, it's not. Thank you. <laughs> it's not. Uh, but I, I, I do really enjoy it. It's, I, but it's just because I, I love the, the atmosphere. I love the, I love the idea of what Marcus said. I love, I love when they do a primeval hook of thing in the future is actually the past for the characters involved um just because it's let's be honest that is something that kind of would happen like well yeah it makes sense and it's done in other, other early adventures like the Santarans. but in the Santarans, it makes sense because like there's actually something that they can offer by it being in their past here they just they they don't like make much use of it they just like okay here's the year oh wow that happens to be in our past and then if i remember correctly it's not brought up much yeah, it, I mean, it isn't brought up much, but I, it's it, it the bounty of series. It's just, it's it's a nice, fun kind of. It's not quite paranoid. There's not a lot of paranoia, but there's. I, I love just sort of the desolate setting and you know, the idea that like you you don't really know what's coming in, uh, and and what the story is. It's been it's been a while since I've I've listened to this. Um, which I think Excellent. is an excellent think... time to bring in Dylan, as Dylan has literally just listened to this story today. Yeah, I mean, I, d- I had listened to it years ago, but I re-listened to it because I could barely remember it. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I Again, I felt that this one was very authentic. It kind of, it's one of those Hartnell sci-fis where it very much focuses in on all of the future technology and, you know, how it all works. And I, I, there's something I always find uh, very exhilarating about that. It's doing it's always interesting. science fiction. Yeah, yeah. And it's like just kind of, you know, doing some uh, world building. Uh, really, I mean, you know, not an awful lot goes on in this story, and I can understand why people aren't necessarily that engaged by it. But I find it fun. I found I was hooked throughout just because I just, I don't, I just kind of enjoy those kind of slow world-building stories with some well-rounded characters in. Uh, they, they can just be fun, and I feel that this is definitely one of those for me. Um, yeah, the reason for um, what's his face uh, doing the thing, uh, yeah, to try and not spoil anything. A bit weak. Oh, I, I said spoilers at the beginning. Say spoilers, Dylan. Oh, uh, well, watch his face doing the thing. Um, is a <laughs> bit <yeah>. weak. <laughs> uh, I mean, it does kind of make sense from what we know about the character, but still, mm, I feel they could have done they could have done something a bit stronger with that. But either way, I still enjoy the story. Yeah, I mean, 
Is that about it? Because I don't think there's much to talk about with this one. Yeah, no, it's not, it's, it's not got too much meat on its bow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to well, say. Well, like, I mean, yeah. this is the first story to have Peter Purvis as the first Doctor, and he is just amazing. He is. Right. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I'm what? Controversial opinion here. I prefer Will, uh, uh, William Russell's impression of William Hartnell. Oh, seriously? So, I mean, sure, Peter Purvis sounds more like William Hartnell in terms of just pure voice, but I don't know. I feel that uh, William Russell acts the part better. Like, I hear the first Doctor far more with William see, Russell just because see, of how, think, it's, how the inflections. Huh. I think see, the, exact the exact opposite. Yeah, I, I think was gonna Pur- say, like, Russell I, I, has the likeness, but Purvis, but Purvis has the mannerisms. Yeah, no, like. Character. Like, yeah, like he embo- like Purvis embodies the spirit of the character to me. Like like Russell like sounds like I mean you know obviously because he he knew Bill, um, but I just I don't know I, I feel the spirit of the character more when I when I hear Purvis because because both- Purvis looked more up to Hartnell and as such there I think there's a bit more passion to the performance. I feel that both um, of the performances have problems. If they were combined together, they'd be perfect because with Russell there's too much emphasis on the kind of grumpy side, but then with um, Purvis, there's too much emphasis on the kind of old man with a twinkle in his eye. Um, well, that's, see, also, that's interesting that, because that, that's... that also kind of makes sense for for the eras that they come from. Yeah, that's that true. Later, later Hartnell is more happy, and, and you know you want to focus on the grumpier side in early Hartnell. Yeah. So, which is which is really really interesting to think about because, but uh, Hartnell by the Daleks master plan, like you know, which obviously that gets into that kind of era when it's with Sarah Kingdom. He's gone by being pretty pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's interesting though because. I guess that's how they would both know the first Doctor's character. The, you know th- that yeah. that influences their performances. Uh, so yeah, that is interesting. Now that I think about it, I've ne- I never like made that connection. I thought it was just how they naturally performed, but yeah, that's cool. All right, so let's do ratings out of ten for the Bounty of series. I'm going to start, and I'm going to give it a four out of ten. Marcus, well, you you really don't like that at all, then. I I, I don't know. I don't like it. I, it. It's below average, but I don't feel too strongly about it. And it, it's it's about it. It's a four out of ten, Marcus. Yeah, I'm giving it a four too. It just, I it just didn't engage me, and you know, it was like being one of the first ones I listened to in this series. It's one of the ones I'm having the most difficulty retaining. Mm. Uh, Dylan, uh, I'd probably say like seven. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I like it. Yeah, uh, Jacob. I also give it a seven because like All right. the duality of man. We're gonna move on. Fucking hell. Quote of the year there. What's up? Quote of the year. (laughs) We're gonna move on to uh, An Ordinary Life by Matt Fitton. This is actually my favorite of the series, so I'm gonna get started here because this is not only my favorite of the series, but this is actually my favorite first Doctor audio. Um, which is weird because out of the four stories here, it's probably the least like the Hartnell era. You can't really imagine the Hartnell era doing a story like this. But maybe the, the maybe Hartnell era part- would not have one. It's yeah, it, you know what? Never mind. I'll Joey. I'll let you. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying. Like maybe maybe that's part of the charm for me. Like I I can't imagine the Hartnell era doing this, but that's that's kind of interesting to me because it's I mean it's another one of those stories that writes the Doctor out fairly early on. Um, and just lets Stephen and Sarah be characters on their own, um, which I absolutely adore about it. You know, uh, 
Purvis and Marsh are some of the best narrators that Big Finish has ever had, in my in my opinion. And um, and the characters that they pair them up against, I absolutely love the family. They're stuck with the entire time. They're they're really heartfelt characters. I could really get into them. Uh, and I, I feel the journey there. I, I feel I feel like the character journey as Stephen and Stephen and Sarah feel themselves completely lost in the situation. It's it's not a story that you could imagine in the Hartnell era, but it's one that I would almost want in the Hartnell era, especially during the Daleks Master Plan. Something to something to offset it to to get us away from all the chaos. And it and it and it still retains the heart of of that early half of the Daleks Master Plan. And and, and where and what what would happen if they settled down for a bit and it, and if they just let like focus on this other group of characters for a few episodes straight let the plot breathe for a bit i it's a welcome addition to the master plan and uh i absolutely adore it personally anyone um yeah (laughs) i disagree because i don't now some people hate the sci-fi plot of this really oh i quite like it do um I feel like it was Matt Fitton trying to have his cake and eat it too, um, in that he wanted to have both the pure historical and a pseudo historical. So, like for the first two episodes, he basically just does a pure historical, which, let's be honest, is is, is are the better two episodes of the of the story. Um, like they they really are, uh, you know, they they really are you know, tackling just this, like, racism in the 1960s. Because this isn't the 90s, or is it the 50s? It's, it's uh, 50, yeah. It's the 50s. It's, it's the 50s, so, yeah. Which is something that Big Finish hasn't tackled much of. Like, it isn't a social comedy that Big Finish often do. Um, and I think doing it in this historical setting is really interesting because like let's be honest steven and sarah are perhaps are 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 the big highlights of this well yeah but also like and and they're they're the perfect companions to have in this story where they won't have um a tainted view on on the historical setting like like they're not going to view these people any differently um because of the time uh the time period they live in And and i love that i think uh, it use actually it it almost uses that idea from the Bounty of Series that like that throwing these characters from the future in a different time period will we obviously give them different perspectives on it, um, but it takes it in a different way almost like um, what's the story uh, from the Oliver Harper trilogy the second one um, fuck what's it called Cold Equations that's it Cold Equations that's my favorite one from there even um, and uh, I it's it's like that bit at the end uh, I guess I won't spoil it for anyone that hasn't listened to it. Um, it's like the bit at the end, like how Steven views Oliver, Oliver by the end. Like it, it doesn't make a difference. And that's something that's really capitalized on here is that like Steven and Sarah have a very objective view on the time period that they're in. And they just get to judge the family that they're with as the people that they are um, rather than the time period they're in. So the sci-fi plot then I think still grabs me, actually. I, I quite like it. Um, it's it's a natural evolution of the historical setting, uh, to me at least. I don't know how anyone else here feels about it. Like, I, I think it fits quite nicely. Yeah, I, mean, I think it, and I think it keeps the, um, the, the sort of plot Stephen and Sarah were experiencing going because, you know, similar to them, the aliens, the alien mold or whatever it was, does not care, you know, about races or creeds the way Stephen and Sarah don't care. You know, they're assimilating everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and just, just 
just like just that harrowing situation early on, like in in the, that tiny attic apartment, uh, like you just you really get a feeling for what all the characters are going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to say, like, uh, I think I'm going to be able to here. I don't really have too much to say other than I just found this one a bit of a snow fest and <sighs> like, it, 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 kind of the similar opinion that Marcus had on the Fantasy uh, series. This one never really hooked me in, and I, I I didn't really get much out of it. I'm afraid that kind of that kind of surprises me with you, um, given its historical nature. Oh, well, I don't like every pure historical. Oh, I mean, it's not even a pure historical. I'm just saying, like, well, are we all good. No, I, just, I don't like every historical. That's what I mean. Yeah. Huh. Kind of, any, 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 anything about it that you don't think like like were you just not drawn in by the characters? Anything about it that you just, can I, I, just I don't know. I can't really think of well, like I, I would again. It's been a long time since I've heard this, so I can't really remember too much about it. Um, like I remember that I kind of the, my enjoyment of it peaked when with like you know Sarah uh, and Stephen trying to incompetently cook dinner and not really knowing how. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cute. But I don't know. It just kind of. It just felt a bit uh, kind of mundane. I don't know. Just oh, that reminds me. That reminds me. This is a Stephen Sarahship story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a bit too domestic for me, perhaps. I, I don't know. I think that's, if, that's, if you know how that's, it's, that's, that, yeah, I get what you mean, but I think that's it's about, about like it's about like an ordinary life. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> congratulations! Like, I, I can't be asked. You know what the title was? <laughs> oh, no, I can't be asked for that. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. If you like it, I can see why people like it. I, I never, I never got into it. Interesting. I mean, I really enjoy Sarah in this story, but I generally enjoy Sarah. She's my favorite first Doctor companion. But like, one of the things I think this story captures really well is. You know, this idea from the Daleks master plan that Sarah was so young when she joined the space security service and Mavic Chen was so easily able to prey on her and manipulate her. You know, Sarah is really naive. And I think this story portrays her naivete and sort of growing up really well. Yeah, definitely. Like, like um, for me, she is what makes the second half of this story so good. Yeah, definitely. Uh yeah, I mean, and plus, of course, G. Marsh as a performer totally sells it. Um, yeah, great stuff. Uh, anything else to add on an ordinary life from anyone? I don't think so. All right, cool. Uh, let's give ratings at a 10 for an ordinary life. Jacob? Probably an 8. 8. Marcus? 9. Uh, Dylan? 5. What? As I said, it's, not, it's just not my thing. No, 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 no! I said, no, I said, what was your rating? Oh, five. Oh, five. I thought, I thought you were just indignant about it. No, 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 <laughs> I mean, as I said, I mean, this is not no objective rating. This is just my opinion. I just didn't really enjoy it that much. But I, I don't feel I can give it lower than a five because it wasn't bad. Um, and I would say a ten personally because, like I said, this is my favorite first Doctor audio. All right then, uh, let us begin series two now and kick it off by talking about the Yes Men by Simon Guerrier. Yes, who I love. Who would like to begin? Um, uh, I mean, this, I, is I, a, this is another snow fest, isn't it? <laughs> oh really? Oh, I quite yeah. like the Yes Men. I mean, you know, I'm I'm going to disagree with you, Dylan. Like, it's not my favorite story. But it's not it's it's not bad. I didn't find it boring. Um, I mean, it's it, it's kind of doing the, the robots of death as a second doctor story. 
Yeah, I quite like that. Like a little bit, which is fun because I'm I'm always a big fan of murder mysteries. I'm also glad that it's not like surprise. We are going to give you give away the murder. We're gonna we're gonna give away the murder uh, murderer in the title. Hi, robots of death. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, the, I mean, the, the murderers well, are in the title, but they they don't call them the yes men of death. <laughs> um. I mean, no, I mean, no, the, it, the big problem I have with, with this story is like, it, like the domain of the world, it goes for a kind of very, you know, grand scale where like it's, you know, meant to be this like giant city, but the world building's pretty naff. Like I never really felt, I never really bought that this was some kind of big city because oh, we spent most of it in just like a few rooms and I could, there was pretty much only really one other major character apart from the TARDIS crew. That I, I just could not get into this at all, it, and it definitely like, there's nothing wrong with like an early adventure kind of not feeling of the period, um, but I feel that was kind of a detriment to the story. Like I, I, there was just nothing that, to really interest me here. I I couldn't get into it. Really? Okay. So uh, who who's the other character that you're talking about when you say there's only uh, that, one other character of interest? Like, that that woman—that's the only other person. Well, I can What remember the in the, the president story. lady? Yeah. Uh, J- oh, Jane Slavin. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't realize oh, that yeah. was Jane Slavin. Yeah, Jane Slavin. I'm looking at the cast list. Yeah. Okay. I love her. It's just <laughs> the world building is just terrible. Really? Okay. I can kind of get that criticism that the world building isn't quite there because you only really get like these sort of broad strokes of what the society is like. But when it actually when you actually get down to like the yes men as a concept, I love them. I, I think they're I think it's I think they're a great creation. Um and 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 Troughton does the typical like macro terror thing of like not not trusting anyone or anything. Um, Fraser Hines, of course, is wonderful as always when he does his performance, uh, his impression of Troughton. Uh, Annika Wills is Annika Wills, uh, <laughs> and uh, and this is also this is, the, is this the first one with Elliot? This Chapman? is the first one with Elliot Chapman. Yeah, yeah, he is wonderful. He, um, he, he is just he Ben steals the show. <laughs> oh yeah, he's yeah I. It's a shame he's not doing it anymore because he's he's the perfect Ben Jackson. Like I, I can't imagine anyone else now, uh, other than Michael Craze, of course. But you know, that's not uh, gonna happen. Is this our new Deborah Watling? <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, Dylan, but you said it. So. Wait, <laughs> so wait for two stories, Dylan, then we can say it. No, I'm not, I don't want to say it. That's your shtick. <laughs> you just said it though, Dylan. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was because you were basically on the verge of saying Michael Craig. Uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't going to uh, say Michael yeah, whatever. Oh, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, but no, no, I think Elliot Chapman's a, a wonderful recast. Um, he totally captures the character. Is anyone else just like not terribly into the way Annika Wills performs nowadays? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't see anything wrong with her performances. I don't know. I just I, 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 I kind of get I, it. I, I, I like the sound of her voice. So you know, like. She's one of those people who could read the phone book and you'd be engaged. Really? I don't know. Her voice is a bit annoying now, isn't it? <laughs> like, to me personally. I don't know. I, I can't quite get into it. It's like, I think my thing with this story is I feel the two plot lines we have are really disjointed. Like, you have this murder mystery going on, and then you have the whole secret robot society going on. And you know, towards the end, when the robot uprising start, starts, they really kind of have to rush and end the murder mystery storyline. And just, it feels really disjointed. Yeah, I agree with that. That's true. That's true. And that way, it does kind of do the whole macro terror thing, doesn't it? I was bringing up that comparison earlier with, with how the Doctor acts off of it. But yeah, that, that is kind of apt. Um, 
just for a far less interesting story. I mean, I still like this story, um, just less interesting. I mean, I think we all agree it's not even the worst of the it's, it's Well, it's not the best of the season. It's, it's far from the worst of the season. <laughs> Jacob, considering what the worst of this series is, it, it, it's, it, it can't get worse than the worst of this series. <laughs> if we're both talking, we're all thinking about what the same one for the worst. Yeah, we are. I don't know. I, do, I, I don't know because I don't like either of them. I'm not sure which one's worse. I mean, Come probably on, the, is the, the, the Yes Men is at least better than the worst of the series. Still, uh, okay, maybe only just, but I'm only saying that because I hate fan like so much. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, also, of course, I, I love the um, uh, I love the yes men about uh, mimicking Jamie towards the end. I <laughs> got to. It's fun. Uh, yeah. So I guess anything else to add on uh, the yes men? Um, the twist is nice. The I mean, it's kind of an obvious twist, but it's a nice twist. Fair. Uh, all right. I guess that about does it. Uh, let's give our ratings out of 10 for the Yes Men. I'm going to split my rating because I actually really like this story and Dylan's probably going to kill me as a fellow 60s weave. I'm going to give this an 8.5 out of 10. Uh, so to contrast that, I'd like to get Dylan's rating next out of 10. <laughs> 4 out of 10. What is it? 4. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, Jacob? I don't like it. I give it a 6. 6. And Marcus? Yeah, I'm giving it a 6. Damn, okay, wow. I'm surprised I, I'm the most harsh here. I thought I was supposed to be the 60s person. Right? Um, all right, let us go on to uh, The Forsaken now by Justin Richards. Dylan, I know you quite like this one. Would you like to begin? Yeah, I mean, you know, but I'll preface this by saying it's far from a perfect story, but there is a lot to like it. Justin Richards is one of those writers who always writes quality horror stories, and this one's no exception. He's picked the location exquisitely well in terms of um, Singapore when the Japanese have just invaded. That's, you know, a place that already has a kind of sense of hopelessness and fear for the future, and then thrown into that a kind of weird alien monster. And it's just a, the perfect setting. And especially, it really feels isolated in the middle of, um, you know, the Malayan jungle. And uh, really, just bloody, bloody uh, good stuff, the horror of that and all that. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Although, the one major criticism I will have, there's a few story beats which feel unnecessary. And the one I'm specifically getting out here is the fact that Ben's dad is in this for no reason. Like, they, they bring it up. Like, basically, I, I, I see what's happened here. Is Big Finish have said, wouldn't it be cool to have, like, a story with Ben's dad and the travel about the past as Ben's dad? And they're like, okay, Justin Richards, you do that. And then he just kind of thinks, well, I'm not really interested in writing about Ben's dad. Yeah, he had, like, a much of, better idea for the story in his mind. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, we yeah, have so, to have Ben's dad here. Like, I don't want to fucking put Ben's dad there. Yeah, so, so he just writes it and it just gives him, like, makes it have absolutely no bearing on the story whatsoever. And it's not like Ben's yeah. dad any kind of interesting character, so I just don't care. I I don't even buy it that much, really. But it's, it that, sounds like something for. Gary Russell would do, because let's be honest, Gary Russell is kind of a big fan of Ben and Polly. If you've read is Invasion he... of the Cat Man, People, I've read Invasion of the Cat People, but like, has he done anything other than Ben and Polly? No, but he 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 has. They have a special place in his heart. Why is that? Just because. Jacob, you're, you're, you're making absolutely no sense here. He wrote one book with them. Yes. Jacob, elaborate. I don't even know where I was going with this. Jacob, Lance Parton loves the Eighth Doctor because he wrote one Eighth Doctor book. Right. He wrote Actually, he wrote, wait, didn't he write two? Shit. Sorry, I'm not as much of a book weeb. 
I think he wrote three, actually. Because I know, I know he wrote oh, well, I mean, He both loves him. He's like a, basically a stalker at this point. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, but, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, like Ben's dad has... He wrote four. Rest of he wrote four of them. Oh, shit. Five if you include, um, infi- include Infinity Doctors. I probably wouldn't. But, uh, yeah, but no, yeah, I agree. Um, the, the, horror, is... the horror story in this is brilliant and kind of oh, shines over any of the little flaws it has. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of it, like what you said on Ben's dad being interesting, is that just none of the soldier characters, to me anyway, were all that interesting. You know, it's like they all kind of had the same voice and they were all kind of the same character. It's like every time one of them was talking, I'm like, wait, which one are you again? Yeah, they were kind of funny. Oh, you know, he's 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 the cockney he's the cockney lad. Uh, he, he's one of the British soldiers there. Well, which fucking one? <laughs> one yeah. of the disp- um, one of the ones that's allowed to die. Um, no, one of the ones allowed to live. I mean, he has to live to go and uh, you know inseminate uh, Miss Jackson. <laughs> Although the other real star of the story for me for this story for me is the score. This is such a unique score. Oh, oh yeah. I think it's another one by uh, by by. That it is. No, I, yeah, I Mason's absolutely yeah. right. It's it's another brilliant score, and it's another time where the score just really fits the mood of the episode. And this time it goes for a very kind. That's Mark. Uh, it's not Mason. Oh, yeah, no, it's with that weird <laughs> bell-like sounding instrument. I don't know what it was, but it's just it really sets it apart. That, you know, it's like I, I don't know what it was, so, but it's just it really sets it apart. You know, it's like it really helps you sort of visualize Singapore somewhere that's not the British Isles. I really wish that more Big Finish would kind of have distinct scores like that. As it's re- oh, it yeah. really enhances the story when it does. Because like in this and Domain of the Birds case, it just, you know, it, 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 it just makes the atmosphere so much more rich and makes you remember the story they always, much more. Like, they always seem, they always seem to really hit Big Finish them. stories. Do you remember any music from them, you know? <laughs> Only the ones that I occasionally use in the adaptations, <laughs> um, which actually, I'm, after using one of them in uh, in one of the adaptations in Warhead, uh, I noticed as I was listening to Time War 3, they just used an, uh, the score from a previous Time War box set, which makes Time War 3 even cheaper than it already is. But That's anyway. That's <laughs> uh, the no, do sound identical. Well, yeah, a lot of them are similar, but most of them at least like have the decency to like re-record it and, and like not have it be the exact same track as before. But what I was going to say earlier was uh, the Big Finish always seems to hit it hard with with horror scores. Uh, they, they, it, it's When it comes to actually like creating a really strong, creepy atmosphere, that, that's when Big Finish scores are typically at their best. Um, I think specifically to, to stand out ones that a lot of people bring up all the time, uh, like Damaged Goods. A lot of people Chimes. Chimes, that is a great score. Uh, Master has a brilliant score. I fucking love the Master score. Um, all this is Red Planets, has, 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 as a score that you really like, Joey. Which one? Red Red Planets. That's... Oh yes, but that's not that's not quite a horror story. I mean, I, it, I've, it, heard, it, I've heard Red Planets, but I don't remember it. I don't remember its score. I uh, I ended I basically ended up scoring all of Exodus with uh, with the Red Planets score. <laughs> um, other than you know the the Nazi anthems, but. Uh, let's see. Anything else to add on the Forsaken? Like it's oh, I mean, really it's... on the nose, but I do like the Forsaken. Just this big Reaper-like figure. Like I said, it's really on the nose because it's in a war-torn setting. But and he's really well actualized on the cover too. 
Also, the the only real problem with the story is the fact that they don't do enough with Ben's dad. Like, yeah. Ben gets some nice stuff. So, Jacob, I think every Justin Richards story we've covered on the Celestial Podcast has been really solid. So tell me again why you really dislike him. I don't dislike him. He just does a lot of standard stuff. I can't think of many standard Justin Richards stories. You always get a quality, like, horror stuff from him. Actually, have you heard the uh, the first story from uh, Jago and Lifeboat Dylan? That one's a horror no. story that's quite good. It's by Justin Richards. Uh, another, another Justin Richards I really like, which probably probably one person in your audience has also heard, is um, the first Blake 7 classic adventures audio. I think it's called Fractures. And that is like one of the very few Blake 7 stories that go- does horror, and it's brilliant. Nice. But yeah, I, I, I like I enjoy his style. I like I, you know it's nothing mind blowing, but it, it's just nice to kind of just have a kind of relaxing good horror story once in a while. Well, not relaxing, but you know it's one that it's like kind of easy, easy to consume, but very solid. Cool. All right. Well, let's give ratings out of ten for the Forsaken. Uh, Jacob. Uh, I would probably have to give it uh, probably an eight. Okay, I would give it a nine personally. I I, I rated it a bit higher. The only like I said, the only really real drawback is Ben's dad, um, Marcus. Yeah, I'm gonna give it an eight. And Dylan. Yeah, I'll go for an eight. Ah, damn! Once again, I'm very generous. Uh, right. Yeah, I was the Let's, one talking uh, up this episode the most. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of only tentatively giving it an eight. All right. Um, all right. Let's move on to the black hole by Simon Gerrier. Who would like to begin? I will. All right, the Resident Season 6 B-Weeb, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But also because, at, I don't know if I said it with you guys before, but this is my favorite second Doctor audio. That's reasonable, yeah. I think it, that actually might be mine, too. Only yeah, because there isn't that many good seven do- second Doctor audios. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I will concede that I think th- out of all the ones, especially in this um set of stories i think this one feels the least like a 60s story isn't that weird that like for 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 a range like the early adventures that that thrives on being so like the era that is trying to replicate the black hole is one of its strongest entries when it's absolutely nothing like the troughton era <laughs> yeah like i i feel like part of it is had they left where the doctor and jamie were going much more ambiguous than they tried and failed to it would have probably worked better but also well, excuse me poor breath control but also as the story goes on and we're dealing with these otherworldly aliens from otherworldly from another dimension and you know it turns into a base under siege actually never mind this is the perfect Trouton story <laughs> I'm also going to say you're, you're, just, you're just salty because season 6b is not canon you know, you know. Except what, season six is canon. The, the thing I love most about this story is how it decanonizes season six B. Exactly. Big finish. Are and, doing and, 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 really, and, and really, as we all know, and, and really as we all know, stories that, uh, that 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 fix continuity, like the black hole, are really the only good stories from Big Finish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but since we're talking about continuity, the uh, the main reason that continuity gets fixed in this is because Rufus Hound's monk is here, and Rufus Hound. Is this is the reveal of Rufus Hound's monk. This is his first. Was it really? Yeah, this was his yes. first. He's not credited as the monk. It was a twist. Wait, what's he credited as? Constable Pavo. Oh shit! I guess I just always knew that he was the monk when I went into this one. Yeah, no, no, no. It was, and it's, it's a really good. I mean, obviously now you can't, you can't maintain that twist. Um, but it's, it's a solid twist. 
you know, oh, I actually had clue. And Rufus I think, Bunk, I think, really makes this story. It would not be anywhere near as good without him. Because, oh, yeah. Because oh, he's yeah, just such a absolutely. wonderful actor who just absolutely chews the, you know, uh, imaginary scenery. Uh, he's, 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 he understands Rufus how makes the character. Rufus how makes the scenery just so he can chew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. Um, honestly, if Peter Butterworth didn't exist, he'd probably be my favorite monk. Probably. I mean, I do he's... Like- I do like Graham Garden, but uh, but I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've always uh, been really personally, good. I think that Rufus Hound is a big upgrade on Graham Gardens. Graham okay. Garden is a, is a different well, style of of yeah. Monk. He's not because Graham is... Garden, like for me, like is sort of like the recovering version of the VNA monk, the really revenge driven one. I so have for... read VNA, so yeah. Well, be, well, basically, I mean, just to just to sum it up really quickly, um, the the VNA monk is is the one that is supposed to be like immediately after the Peter Butterworth one. So it's the one that the the Doctor abandoned in, in the Daleks' master plan. So he like he absolutely hates the Doctor. So like each incarnation after that, for me, I would say like is sort of like calming down from that. And Rufus Hound is basically back to the Butterworth version, but he is the latest incarnation. So he's the Butterworth it, version it, turned it, up to eleven because yeah. like. <laughs> Well, at the same time, yeah, he has like that 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 utter temper tantrum that that, that Garden would have every now and then, and it just makes him really fun to listen to. Uh, I love his scheme in this, though, in in the black hole. He, he, I love his, I love his way that he like tries to trick the Doctor into uh into like going on missions for the Time Lords, um, which is both a sneaky way to fix continuity and just a really fun plan of the monks. I oh really yeah, I have like to it. say it's because usually when there's an audio where it's just like you know very fan wanky and going over old continuity and stuff like that. I'm not a fan, but I really like this one because it very, very cleverly worked its way into the plot. And even, you know, the monk twist, you know, that wasn't the only twist in this story. And I thought that the other twist with like, you know, the doctor and Jamie being there the whole time. And then, you know, Parvo actually being the commander was, it was brilliant. It was just like, oh, he, yeah. I, I didn't see it coming for a second time. Cause I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah. it was good. It was good to relive that experience. Um, yeah. it just, I, I love a lot of the hard science in it as well, and even like the black hole and everything. And for me, I, I'm i not too keen on when it gets to like part four and you've got the weird beings from another dimension coming through there. They're very generic, and I just didn't really care uh, when it got to them. But the rest of it is extremely solid and extremely fun. I think that battle between the Doctor and the Monk really saves that last part of the story because I do agree it is the weaker oh, part of the story. Oh, that's true, actually. No, yeah, because right, Hines and, and, and Hound are brilliant off each other. Yeah, no, the Doctor and the Monk's battle is brilliant. but I also crap. forgot, now that I'm looking at it again, I also forgot that David Warner is a narrator in this. Yeah, oh, this yeah. Is amazing. I'm to say, this is the only early adventure not narrated by a former companion. Which we is, don't have is, David Warner narrate every early adventures because it was <laughs> added so much to it. He's, oh, I, yeah. Isn't it literally just he he wanted to be in a doc in another Doctor Who thing, and Lisa yeah. Byron was like, "Well, I'm directing this. You want to narrate?" And my boyfriend. They came, they came up with this idea after after a night. Yeah, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> actually, actually looking at it, David Warner isn't even cre- he's only on the cover. He's not even credited in the cast. That's weird. So just yeah. Although I think another thing we need to give uh, credit to this story for is how good Victoria is in it. Yes, yeah, she and... really is. Uh, you know, for for Deborah Watling's final one, the story of extinction is a final one. Oh shit! Really? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> even Jacob's <laughs> like fucking story of extinction. I um, haven't even heard the story of extinction. It's, I just wanted this shit. to be a final one. 
Because this is a really good one to go out on. Yeah, the Star of Extinction was a terrible one to go out. But for me, as, as someone like who's who's typically taken out of um, who's taken out of stories where like actors' voices have changed so much since they last played the role that um, that like it's all, they're almost that you're almost not able to tell that they're the same person anymore. This is one where actually Victoria as a character still really shines through how much Deborah Watling's uh, voice has changed over the years. And D- despite the a million still... cigarettes that have been smoked <laughs> between uh, Fury from the Deep and 2013 or the first of the Big Finish audio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but she's really great in this. Um, actually, Dylan, uh, not not to be that guy, but actually, it would be between uh, 2008. Down- it would be between downtime and when she did her first big finish audio. Uh, what well, does she sound normal in downtime? Oh, uh, I haven't actually seen the. Uh, she the sounds character. older. The story. But does oh. she sound smokier? Yes. <laughs> but she's also in downtime. She's also playing an older Victoria. Like, so she's not. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. She does do a good job in this story. Oh, like okay. I, I, I never felt that the um, the voice, the voice never really put me off. I felt like she was playing the character so well; it didn't really matter. Indeed. All right. Well, I guess uh, that about does it. This is Deborah Watlin here uh, asking for your ratings out of ten for the black hole. Dylan. Eight. Eight. Uh, Jacob. Uh, I, I'd probably give it a ten. Marcus. Nine. And Joey, what would you like to give the black hole starring me, Deborah Watlin? <laughs> uh, I would give it a I would give it a I would give it a nine out of ten. Deborah wait, Watlin, wait, you. Well, are you doing an impression of Jacob then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not even a nine. Oh, sorry, that's a um, joke from uh, before we started recording. <laughs> so uh all right, let's move on to the ISOS network by Nicholas Briggs. Or I mean if we really <laughs> If we really, really wanted to, we could just end the podcast. So, you remember Let's... what I said about how much I hate fan wank in, in, in the black hole? <laughs> yeah, this is the worst possible example of fan wank. Like, there, there is no nothing about this episode. Like, there's nothing, nothing about it is just not fan wank. It's, it's all fan wank. It's all shit. It's all boring. It's all just... Like, oh, it, this is like the invasion and Tomb of the Cybers. Like, you like those, don't you? You would like this episode. It's like, no. Like, no, literally, actually, something you literally, literally, right from, from, any of, literally right from the start, like, Nick Briggs has to make it a charm. It doesn't have the charm of Tomb of the Cybermen or Invasion. Like, yeah. It doesn't no, have Eric Fleeg or a Tobias Vaughn or Nick Courtney or um, that weird American guy, that fake American accent in Tomb of the Cybermen. I mean, this has, like, the atmosphere of a morgue. It's just it's dead. It's dead on arrival. Like, um, it's so little charm, so little atmosphere, so little creativity. I mean, like, because Nicholas Briggs has written lots of good stuff, but he does have a tendency on his off days just to write really mediocre fan like that is terrifically unenjoyable for somebody like me. And, like, right from the start, like, the story makes it abundantly clear, uh, like, what kind of story it's going to be, because they just shove it in your face from the second the story starts. It's like, well, this is after the invasion, so it's kind of a sequel to the invasion, but we're also going to have the cyber controller, so it's kind of like the Tomb of the Cybermen, and it's all the Cyberman stories that you like from the Troughton era. Yeah, they knew what they were doing with the cover, because they made the cover look so awesome. Oh, yeah. It's just like, yes, you like this, don't you, listeners? Come and listen to more of the same. And I, I mean, like, let's I, be honest. I like, I like let's your stupid impression. It could, be, it, it could have been a great story trying to follow up the invasion. Because let's be honest, the invasion, if it has one problem, it's that the Clarnox isn't great. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. 
Yeah. Like, the climax is... I love the invasion. Don't get me wrong. It's brilliant. The climax is kind of a letdown. Yeah, they needed no. two more episodes. <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Kent, did you just join the call? Because <laughs> that's, he, that's what he's been doing. He's been saying, this needs one more... This is missing one episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, not that it needs one more episode. It, it, it's missing one episode. <laughs> it's like, no... It's it's not. This is two. Well, you remember it better than I do because I do not remember this one at all. Like it left slugs. no effect it, on it. No, it's like somehow they managed to make the Doctor Jamie and Zoe riding on giant slugs. That was boring, mundane thing I've ever heard. See, but that's actually well, the I mean, best thing about the story because it's the only thing that hour. Nick Briggs actually like thought of in his head and put on put it onto the paper without actually looking at a guidebook. <laughs> well done, you had an idea all of your own. <laughs> now that I'm trying to remember it, I feel like there's just too many. He had too many ideas. Like you have the giant slugs and their eggs. You have that, yeah, um, security group or whatever it was. You have the partially converted Cybermen, which that was kind of disappointing. Because that's actually one of the most this story, just how grotesque that guy was. Portly of Villadio died did it better, and that's like the fact that a Jodie Whittaker era episode is doing something better, you know, there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, unfortunately, I don't remember Heinz or Padbury giving strong performances in this either. I, I don't think they were terribly into the script. I mean, they, I mean, if you want to do a, if you want to see a good second Doctor Cyberman story without the fucking Doctor actually in it, do Last of the Cybermen. Oh, Last yeah. of the Cybermen! Oh, is that one's excellent. Really good. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's that that's one... that's an example of how you do a you know a Cyberman story with Jamie and Zoe in Big Finish, and a sequel to kind of a sequel to Tomb. Yeah, no, it is basically a sequel to Tomb, and it kind of goes more in depth on the Brotherhood of Logicians, and that's all brilliant. Oh, it's just a. This is like the absolutely typifies just the the height of when Big Finish just does shit fan life, no, no, which is no, doing more Big and more and more. Fan, like, when Nick Briggs writes shit fan life. Yeah, when Nick because Nick Briggs does it best slash worst, whichever way you want to take it. And you know, the sad thing is, I bet you, because of the cover alone, this is the best selling audio from this series of the early adventures. Oh, without doubt. Without, I yeah, bet it's like, sold it's... more than double of the black hole, which is a superior story in every conceivable way. Yeah. It's just that is a shame. Why'd you have to bring that up, Dylan? <laughs> Don't put that thought in my head. Oh fuck! It's just like that's why they have to do the fan wank. It's because they need the money to keep going. But it's like, oh, oh. Can you just like put a disclaimer on all of the fan wank on saying this is fan wank? Don't buy it if you don't like fan wank. No, no, because then you have to. Well, put that on we, well, they already do. You know, any well, they already do that. Any title that says by Gary Russell. <laughs> See, but no title saved by Gary Russell anymore, so. <laughs> Nick Briggs, Nick Briggs, he's such a completed writer because half the time is he's brilliant, and the other half the time he's. Like, his scripts are just painful. <laughs> like, the only thing I'm comforted by is this still isn't Briggs's worst story. What would you say is his worst? What, what, yeah, what was his, what Exile. His, no, Exile's that. fun. Fuck off. <laughs> All I'm going to say is that I find out. Just horrifically difficult to believe that the same person who wrote Creatures of Beauty wrote the ISOS network. Like one of the most beautiful and non traditional Doctor Who stories ever that kind of just does something. It's borderline, it's borderline art compared to this, which is just workmanlike 
fan like shite that's completely dead. I mean, like, and it's a shame too because Briggs can write good good stories that are focused around continuity, like Lucy Miller into the Death. It's basically a Dalek Invasion of Earth sequel, and it's really good. It 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 it's it's a great story, but this one just where did There's he go not wrong? A lot to say about it. It's got Cybermen. It's it relates to the invasion. Sure does. And that's that's about it. <laughs> and because of that, I will safely give the Ice House Network a three out of ten. Uh, Dylan. Oh god, I don't know. Maybe a three, I suppose, is probably fair. I wish I could give it lower though, because I just have so much contempt for this kind of story. <laughs> uh, Jacob. Yeah, I, I'm gonna conform. I'm gonna conform to you two and give it a three. All right, and Marcus. I I can't even remember it, so I'm gonna give it a one. Hot damn! I don't blame you at all, though. So uh, I guess now it's time for a, a segment that I always look forward to on the Celestial Podcast, and that is the ranking of least favorite to favorite. So I'm gonna go first. Uh, Ice House Network, obviously at the bottom. Uh, then I'd say the Bounty of Series, the Doctor's Tale. The Yes Men, The Forsaken, The Black Hole, Domain of the Vord, and An Ordinary Life at the Top. Who would like to go next? I'll go next. All right. Mine's mine's different from yours. Hopefully in ways that you don't want to kill me. Bottom, the Isis Network. Um, then the Yes Men. Then the Bounty of Series. Then An Ordinary Life. Then The Forsaken. Then The Doctor's Tale. Then Domain of the Vord. And at the top, The Black Hole. That's actually not a bad list. I, I, I'm I am a little hurt by how low ordinary life is, but whatever. Okay, no, uh, okay I will say, the only bad story of the bunch to get, like, again, is ISOS Network. Like, the other seven are good stories. Like, this is such a good range. Why why, why does it seem like Big Finish is phasing it out now? I love the... I love it's the literally the actor availability. Uh, and who would like to go next? Marcus or Dylan? I'll go. I'll go. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Whoever wants to go first. <laughs> no, Marcus must go first. All right, Marcus. Okay. Here we go. The ISIS Network, the Bounty of Series, the Yes Men, the Forsaken, the Doctor's Tale, Domain of the Vord, the Black Hole, and an Ordinary Life. Oh yes, quality. Um, and Dylan. The ISOS Network, the Yes Men, an Ordinary Life. Bounty of Series, The Forsaken, The Doctor's Tale, Black Hole, and Domain of the Bird. I, everybody had a very different list there, apart from the ISOS network. I'm glad we can all come together in our seething contempt. I think the fact that none of us are hating each other for our differences, like, say, what happens when we let a certain Mr. Corrigan? <laughs> I, keep in mind, in the last Main Range podcast we did, I ranked The Chimes of Midnight as number four. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of fucking awful. Um. <laughs> well, what did he put above it? I forget what was above it. Um, hang on, because I, I have that one written on the same piece of paper. So what was it? Where is it? Times of Midnight, Ish, Spare Parts, and Season of Seasons of Fear. I mean, I personally disagree, but I can I can see why. The I do. Love I the only one I can't really understand there is uh, uh, Ish. Like I like. I Ish, love but... Ish. It's just very good. Yeah, definitely. It's not better than Chimes. But it, it is a brilliant audio. Very underrated and overlooked. 
And it's not one of those early big finish, which is so great in terms of how experimental it is. And you know, the, you know that experimental, not fan like, not like the ISOS network. <laughs> you have no idea how much I hate fan like. I really, really hate it. And it's the Buffett era that did this to me. I'm like a, a seething dog, like there's snarling every time there's a bit of fan like because I just feel this is trying to trick me into getting me to like it, but I won't fall for it. <laughs> Again. D- Dylan, your inner Stuart Hardy has shown many a time throughout this podcast. <laughs> but I hated Fanlight before I started watching Stu Bad. I'm, I'm, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like the way in which you're presenting your sentences. <laughs> I did watch oh. a Stu Bad video earlier today, so maybe I've got a bit of influence there. Uh, all right, so I guess let's do uh, let's do plugs and let's head on out. Uh, Marcus, anything to plug? Um. Yeah, just a couple things on your channel. As soon as you finish the Love and War audiobook, I will be doing the next one. I will be doing the audiobook for The Romance of Crime, The Missing Adventure, starring the fourth Doctor, Romana, and Canine. And on my own channel, um, no dates planned yet, but I will be reviewing the Season 24 trilogy. We are the Daleks, the Warehouse, and Terror of the Suntarans. Brilliant. Brilliant. Quite looking forward to that. I haven't heard Terror of the Autons, but uh, the first two are the Suntarans. Right, so, what, wait, what did I say? Autumn. You said autumn. Oh, did oh, did I? <laughs> it's ingrained in my memory. Uh, done. Anything oh done? yeah, um, yeah. So go on, Lord Slaw, like subscribe because next month I'm doing a live stream. What what's going to happen is I'm going to get everybody in, like including Joey and Jacob and probably even Mark. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a, a big shit live on air right on my laptop. Very, <laughs> you're going to want to watch. You won't want to miss that. Fuck. <laughs> Dylan. I'm I'm upset with how fast you came up with that. <laughs> I fucking hate you for that. <laughs> so for that reason and that reason alone, Lord Star's channel will not be linked in the description below. No! Jacob, I think it's slug. I'm currently in the marathon doing a uh, doing the older Nissa arc, which is 15 stories long. Um, as we're recording, mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of Cradle things. of the Snake. Um, and which story uh, is that out of the 15? What number? That's number three. Mm, okay. I'm not that far in. Um, also, probably sometime sometime in June slash July, I will be bringing back for one night only the streams of Doom. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm oh, like, yeah. Ruining <laughs> your just... live streams again. Get some nostalgia. I just have to figure out when I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> fucking excited for this. I just um, uh, actually, actually obvious... we've, we've all hit milestones recently, actually. This, actually, this no, I've first... got to wait till I get another subscriber because someone unsubscribed. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I had that one. I've got a 1K scrubs, you know. Oh, wait, never Good. mind. I got two subscribers today. Hey! Got, I'm up at 201. Oh, excellent. All right, so we all hit milestones recently. Jacob hit 200. Marcus hit uh, 100. Uh, Dylan hit 1,000. And I hit 250. So that is... Excellent, excellent news for all of us. If any of us um, needs more subs- need more subscribers, that'll get it from this video. It's Marcus. Definitely, yeah. Please do, please do. Marcus got a lot of cool things coming up on his channel. And, he has uh, the Lord Slar seal of approval because that was very sought after. <laughs> uh, and I guess as far as my plugs go, uh, the usuals. We have another podcast coming up next month. We're covering a uh, classic who season five. That should be really fun. Um, oh, yes. uh, we have a, a commentary coming up later this month uh, for the oh, Keys yes. of Marinus, and our commentary oh, yes. next. Fuck it. Our commentary next month will be the invasion. Uh, oh, yes. 
fucking hate my life. Um, this should be out before the uh, the Witchmark sneak peek sneak peek comes out. So that'll be out on June twentieth. That'll be the uh, first look that you get at our next uh, novel adaptation coming up for Cat's Cradle Witchmark. Uh, also later this month we should have another chapter of Love and War coming out, and I think I should be done with the Love and War audiobook by uh, August sometimes. Uh, sometime late August. Uh, sounds about right. I'm probably wrong, but uh, sometime around there, we're almost done with that. And then obviously, as Marcus said already, we'll be starting the Romance of Crime audiobook, which I've had Marcus reading and Brian has been editing, and it's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, anything else? Uh, Check out my video on Super Hulok. I fucking hate you. All right, we're done with this. Goodbye. Goodbye.